Section 29 of The Colonel's Dream This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut Section 29, Chapter 29 Colonel French's interest in Ben Dudley's affairs had not been permitted to interfere with his various enterprises. Work on the chief of these, the cotton mill, had gone steadily forward, with only occasional delays, incident to the delivery of material, the weather, and the health of the workmen, which was often uncertain for a day or two after payday. The colored foreman of the bricklayers had been seriously ill. His place had been filled by a white man under whom the walls were rising rapidly. Jim Green, the foreman whom the colonel had formerly discharged, and the two white bricklayers who had quit at the same time, applied for reinstatement. The colonel took the two men on again, but declined to restore Green, who had been discharged for insubordination. Green went away swearing vengeance. At Clay Johnson's saloon he hurled invectives at the colonel, to all who would listen, and with anger and bad whiskey soon worked himself into a frame of mind that was ripe for any mischief. Some of his utterances were reported to the colonel, who was not without friends, the wealthy seldom are. But he paid no particular attention to them except to keep a watchman at the mill at night, lest this hostility should seek out an outlet in some attempt to injure the property. The precaution was not amiss, for once the watchman shot at a figure prowling about the mill. The lesson was sufficient, apparently, for there was no immediate necessity to repeat it. The shooting of Haynes, while not so sensational as that of Barclay Fetters, had given rise to considerable feeling against Ben Dudley. That two young men should quarrel and exchange shots would not ordinarily have been a subject of extended remark, but two attempts at assassination constituted a much graver affair. That Dudley was responsible for this second assault was the generally accepted opinion. Fetters' friends and hirelings were openly hostile to young Dudley and Haynes had been heard to say in his cups at Clay Jackson's saloon that when young Dudley was tried and convicted and sent to the penitentiary, he would be hired out to Fetters, who had the country contract, and that he, Haynes, would be delighted to have Dudley in his gang. The feeling against Dudley grew from day to day, and threats and bets were openly made that he would not live to be tried. There was no direct proof against him, but the moral and circumstantial evidence was quite sufficient to convict him in the eyes of Fetter's friends and supporters. The colonel was sometimes mentioned in connection with the affair as a friend of Ben's, for whom he had given bail, and as an enemy of Fetter's, to whom his antagonism in various ways had become a matter of public knowledge and interest. One day, while the excitement attending this second shooting was thus growing, Colonel French received through the mail a mysteriously worded note vaguely hinting at some matter of public importance which the writer wished to communicate to him and requesting a private interview for the purpose that evening at the colonel's house the note which had every internal evidence of sincerity was signed by henry taylor the principal of the colored school whom the colonel had met several times in reference to the proposed industrial school from the tenor of the communication and what he knew about taylor the colonel had no doubt that the matter was one of importance at least not one to be dismissed without examination. He thereupon stepped into Caxton's office and wrote an answer to the letter, fixing eight o'clock that evening as the time, 
and his own library as the place of a meeting with the teacher this letter he deposited in the post office personally it was only a step from caxton's office upon coming out of the post office he saw the teacher standing on an opposite corner when the colonel had passed out of sight taylor crossed the street entered the post office and soon emerged with the letter he had given no sign that he saw the colonel but it looked rather ostentatiously the other way when that gentleman had glanced in his direction at the appointed hour there was a light step on the colonel's piazza the colonel was on watch and opened the door himself ushering taylor into his library a very handsome and comfortable room the door of which he carefully closed behind them the teacher looked around cautiously are we alone sir yes entirely so and can anyone hear us no what have you got to tell me colonel french replied the other i'm in a hard situation and i want you to promise that you'll never let on to anybody that i told you what i'm going to say all right mr taylor if it is a proper promise to make you can trust my discretion yes sir i'm sure i can we colored folks sir are often accused of trying to shield criminals of our own race or of not helping the officers of the law to catch them maybe we does sir he said lapsing into his earnestness into bad grammar maybe we does sometimes but not without reason what reason asked the colonel well sir for the reason that we ain't always sure that a colored man will get a fair trial or any trial at all or that he'll get a just sentence after he's been tried we have no hand in making the laws or enforcing them we are not summoned on jury and yet we're asked to do the work of constables and sheriffs who are paid for arresting criminals and for protecting them from mobs which they don't do i have no doubt every word you say is true mr taylor and such a state of things is unjust and will some day be different if i can help make it so but nevertheless all good citizens whatever their color ought to help preserve peace and good order yes sir so they ought and i want to do just that i want to cooperate and a whole heap of us want to cooperate with the good white people to keep down crime and lawlessness i know there's good white people who want to see justice done but they ain't always strong enough to run things and if any one of us colored folks tells on another one he's liable to lose all his friends but i believe sir that i can trust you to save me harmless and to see that nothing more than justice is done to the colored man yes taylor you can trust me to do all that i can and i think i have considerable influence now what's on your mind do you know who shot haines and mr fetters well sir you're a mighty good guesser it ain't so much mr fetters and mr haines i'm thinking about for that place down the country is a hell on earth and they're the devils that run it but there's a friend of yours in trouble for something he didn't do and i wouldn't stand for an innocent man being sent to the penitentiary though many a poor negro has been yes sir i know that mr ben dudley didn't shoot them two white men so do i rejoined the colonel who did it was bud johnson the man you tried to get away from mr fetters your coachman told us about it sir and we know how good a friend of ours you are from what you've promised us about the school and i wanted you to know sir you are our friend and have showed confidence in us 
and I wanted to prove to you that we are not ungrateful, and that we want to be good citizens. I had heard, said the colonel, that Johnson had escaped and left the county. So he had, sir, but he came back. They had abused him down at that place till he swore he'd kill every one that had anything to do with him. It was Mr. Turner he shot at the first time, and he hit young Mr. Fetters by accident. He stole a gun from old Mr. Dudley's place at Mink Run, shot Mr. Fetters with it, and has kept it ever since, and shot Mr. Haynes with it. I suppose they'd have catched him before, if it hadn't been for suspecting young Mr. Dudley. "'Where is Johnson now?' asked the colonel. "'He's hiding in an old log cabin down by the swamp, back of Mink Run. He sleeps in the daytime and goes out at night to get food and watch for white men from Mr. Fetter's place. "'Does his wife know where he is?' "'No, sir. He ain't never let her know.' "'By the way, Taylor,' asked the colonel, "'how do you know all this?' "'Well, sir,' replied the teacher, with something which, in an uneducated negro, would have been a very pronounced chuckle. <laughs> "'There's mighty little going on round here that I don't find out sooner or later.' "'Taylor,' said the colonel, rising to terminate the interview, "'you have rendered a public service, have proved yourself a good citizen, and have relieved Mr. Dudley of serious embarrassment. "'I will see that steps are taken to apprehend Johnson.' and will keep your participation in the matter secret, since you think it would hurt your influence with your people. And I promise you faithfully that every effort shall be made to see that Johnson has a fair trial, and no more than a just punishment. He gave the Negro his hand. Thank you, sir, thank you, sir, replied the teacher, returning the colonel's clasp. If there were more white men like you, the colored folks would have no more trouble. The colonel let Taylor out and watched him as he looked cautiously up and down the street to see that he was not observed. That colored folks or any other kind should ever cease to have trouble was a vain imagining. But the teacher had made a well-founded complaint of injustice which ought to be capable of correction, and he had performed a public-spirited action, even though he had felt constrained to do it in a clandestine manner. About his own part in the affair, the colonel was troubled. It was becoming clear to him that the task he had undertaken was no light one. Not the task of apprehending Johnson and clearing Dudley, but that of leavening the inert mass of Clarendon with the leaven of enlightenment. With the best of intentions and hoping to save a life, he had connived at turning a murderer loose upon the community. It was true that the community, through unjust laws, had made him a murderer. But it was no part of the colonel's plan to foster or promote evil passions or to help the victims of the law make reprisals. His aim was to bring about, by better laws and more liberal ideas, peace, harmony, and universal goodwill. There was a colossal work for him to do, and for all whom he could enlist with him in this cause. The very standards of right and wrong had been confused by the race issue, and must be set right by the patient appeal to reason and humanity. Primitive passions and private vengeance must be subordinated to law and order and the higher good. A new body of thought must be built up, in which stress must be laid upon the eternal verities, in the light of which difficulties which now seemed unsurmountable would be gradually overcome. But this halcyon period was yet afar off, and the colonel roused himself to the duty of the hour. With the best intentions he had let loose upon the community in a questionable way, a desperate character. 
it was no less than his plain duty to put the man under restraint to rescue from fetters a man whose life was threatened was one thing to leave a murderer at large now would be to endanger innocent lives and imperil ben dudley's future the arrest of bud johnson brought an end to the case against ben dudley the prosecuting attorney who was under political obligations to fetters seemed reluctant to dismiss the case until johnson's guilt should have been legally proved but the result of the negro's preliminary hearing rendered this position no longer tenable the case against ben was nolled and he could now hold his head up as a free man with no stain upon his character indeed the reaction in his favor as one unjustly indicted went far to wipe out from the public mind the impression that he was a drunkard and a rowdy it was recalled that he was of good family and that his forebears had rendered valuable service to the state and that he had never been seen to drink before or known to be in a fight but that on the contrary he was quiet and harmless to a fault indeed the clarendon public would have admired a little more spirit in a young man even to the extent of condoning an occasional lapse into license there was sincere rejoicing at the treadwell house when ben now free in mind went around to see the ladies miss laura was warmly sympathetic and congratulatory and graciella tearfully happy tried to make up by a sweet humility through which shone the true womanliness of a hitherto undeveloped character for the past stings and humiliations to which her selfish caprice had subjected her lover ben resumed his visits if not with quite their former frequency and it was only a day or two later that the colonel found him and graciella with his own boy phil grouped in familiar fashion on the steps where ben was demonstrating with some pride of success the operation of his model into which he was feeding cotton when the colonel came up the colonel stood a moment and looked at the machine it's quite ingenious he said explain the principle ben described the mechanism in brief well-chosen words which conveyed the thought clearly and concisely and revealed a fine mind for mechanics and at the same time an absolute lack of technical knowledge it would never be of any use sir he said at the end for everybody has the other kind but it's another way and i think a better it is clever said the colonel thoughtfully as he went into the house the colonel had not changed his mind at all since asking miss laura to be his wife the glow of happiness still warmed her cheek the spirit of youth still lingered in her eyes and in her smile he might go a thousand miles before meeting a woman who would please him more take better care of phil or preside with more dignity over his household her simple grace would adapt itself to wealth as easily as it had accommodated itself to poverty it would be a pleasure to travel with her to new scenes and new places to introduce her into a wider world to see her expand in the generous sunlight of ease and freedom from responsibility true to his promise the colonel made every effort to see that bud johnson should be protected against mob violence and given a fair trial there was some intemperate talk about the partisans of fetters and an ominous gathering upon the streets the day after the arrest but judge miller of the beaver county circuit who was in clarendon that day used his influence to discountenance any disorder and promised a speedy trial of the prisoner the crime was not the worst of crimes and there was no excuse for riot or lynch law the accused could not escape his just punishment as a result of the judge's efforts supplemented by the colonel's and those of dr price and several ministers 
any serious fear of disorder was removed, and a handful of Fetter's guards, who had come up from his convict farm, and foregathered with some choice spirits of the town at Clay Jackson's saloon, went back without attempting to do what they had avowedly come to town to accomplish. End of section 29. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.